I think most of you know me. For you, those that don't, I'm uh, Rick Malik, and I'm uh, one of the ruling elders here at uh, First Presbyterian Church. Uh, Pastor Joe, as Bob mentioned, is out of town, and so I have the honor this morning to uh, be sharing uh, from the pulpit. Uh, hopefully my voice will uh, hang tough. I had just got done teaching Sunday school. You know, they say that thing that men have so many words in their vocabulary, right? And then women have about t- twice as many. So, honey, by the time I'm done with this sermon, I'm not going to have any words left for you this afternoon. <laughs> no clapping. <laughs> All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 1 through 6. The title of my message this morning is Eager to Maintain Unity. Eager to Maintain Unity. Please hear uh, God's holy word. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for this day. We thank you for your holy word that you have given to us to teach us. And I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would speak through me to our body. That you would open up our ears to hear and our eyes to see truths from your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my uh, favorite jobs uh, when I was in the Air Force uh, was called the Chief of Maintenance, and I was in the Communication Squadron, and some of you in the Air Force know about the Communication Squadron, but I was assigned as the Chief of Maintenance out at Nellis Air Force Base in uh, Nevada, and uh, I had about 100 people in my particular uh, flight. And we were responsible for maintaining all the communications gear on the base. Everything from the telephones, the cable, to uh, radios, land mobile radios, for you remember those bricks, we call them, to air to ground radios. But one of the, probably the more important uh, responsibilities that uh, I had was a group, and for you that are flyers will know this acronym called ATCALS and ILS and NAVAIDS, air traffic control and landing systems, instrumentation landing systems, and navigational aids. Now, why this was so important was at Nellis Air Force Base, uh, for you that are familiar with it, is the home of the Air Weapons Center. It's the home of the Thunderbirds. It's a place where they do all a lot of our air-to-air uh, uh, training, uh, combat training in the air. And so on every, any given day, there are just hundreds and hundreds of sorties flying off, and it was always like watching a virtual air show. And, uh, but because of this important mission, these systems had to be up and running all the time. And I remember when I, went to my, uh, when I first got there, I was taken down to the maintenance center responsible 
for these particular systems. And boy, I met these guys, and these guys and gals were on top of it. And they were very enthusiastic and eager about maintaining this equipment because they understood the gravity of the mission that if the systems were down, there wasn't going to be any flying. And so they would pull out all their charts and show me their uptime rates, and they would show me these things called PMIs, preventive maintenance inspections, where they had to pull things down, you know, to make sure they were fixed. They had to be intentional in the way they maintained their equipment. It wasn't like, you know, the old uh, commercial, remember, the Maytag uh, repairman, where you just sit there waiting for things to break. You couldn't wait for things to break. They had to be up and running. So you're probably saying, well, what's this have to do with this passage today? Well, what it has to do with this particular passage is I want you to see that the same enthusiasm and eagerness that these uh, maintainers had for their equipment to make sure that the mission went off successfully, we have a much greater call today, and Paul's calling us that we need to be eager, enthusiastic, diligent to maintain the unity of the faith, the unity of the Spirit. Now, some of you know that I came on staff uh, part-time January, and so some of you are probably thinking, oh, Rick, do you see something here today in our church that caused you to want to preach this message? And I would say no. In fact, I think things are going well. I think we are a very healthy church. But you know, it's when we are the most healthy, many times we have to be alert and aware for small things to come in and to cause fractures and division. And so I felt like this would be a good time for me to bring forth this message. A little bit of context, though, before we get into these uh, particular verses. For you that read the book of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3, very much have to do with uh, who we are in Christ. We would call this the doctrinal side of the book. So in chapters 1 through 3, Paul's going on and telling everybody who they are in Christ, what God has done for us. Chapters 4 through 6 would be the application side. Now that we know who we are in Christ, how do we live out our faith? And just listen to some of these things that come from the first few chapters. Those of you who took the class in Ephesians remember that, but powerful uh, uh, blessings from God. In chapters 1, it said, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. We would call that the doctrine of election. How about this? In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. We would call that the doctrines of predestination and adoption. In him, Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. That is the doctrine of the atonement. In him, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. When we were dead in our sins and trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. That speaks to our depravity, our need for him to make us alive in Christ. By grace, we have been saved through faith. And this is not our doing. It is the gift of God. We see God's grace here. How about this? We were separated from Christ, having no hope without God. But now we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Here's the study of the church, ecclesiology. 
And then Paul goes on and he prays for the church. And listen to some of these prayers. That God would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That we would know the hope of our calling. That we would know the greatness of his power toward us. That we would be strengthened with his power through the spirit. That we would be able to comprehend the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. That we would be filled up with the knowledge and fullness of God. Then he ends chapter 3. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think according to the power that work within us. What a description of the called. And now there's a hinge on the book. Chapter 4. And he says, therefore... As a prisoner of the Lord, he goes, now, he switches gears and he says, let me tell you how you're supposed to walk. Now, I almost look at these first three chapters, it's like an analogy of a football team, right? Getting ready for first season, the first game of the season, and you know, and the coach gets you in the locker room and he gives you this inspiring, motivational speech, says, this is what I've been drilling into, this is how I've been telling you to do these plays, to execute, we've been working hard. And, you know, it gets them all fired up, and then they go, ready, break, and they head out, right? And what are they? are ready to go conquer. Well, you know, after you read these first three chapters, you're ready to go out there and advance the kingdom of God, right? You're ready to kick the teeth out of the devil. You're ready to preach the gospel, bring light to darkness. And how does Paul start off how we're supposed to live? Walk in humility. Walk in patience. Walk in gentleness. Be eager or diligent to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Why does Paul start the discussion this way? Well, that is because the church is made up of more than one person. The church is made up of more than one person. And Paul recognizes that any organization, including the church, even a family, a business, a civic group, anything is prone to disunity or strife or division when there are at least two members of it, okay? Sort of like, you know, you have a toy in a room and you put two children in the room. What's going to happen? You all been there? Or how about, you know, there's one chocolate chip cookie left and there's three kids, yeah, my kids sometimes, you know, it's not natural to like, let's go share it with each other. Jesus said a house divided against itself will not be able to stand. So this morning, I want to talk about three things. First, what is the unity of the spirit? Second, what are some of those threats to the unity? And third, how are we to walk in that unity? So what does Paul mean by unity of the Spirit? Well, he gives us some help in the, those verses. Unity involves the number one, right? You see that continually through. In fact, the number one is repeated seven times. Three times regarding the persons of the Godhead and four times regarding aspects of our salvation. There's one body. He starts off with one body, which is the church. One spirit. One hope, which he prayed before that we would know what that hope is. That hope is Jesus Christ. One Lord who is Jesus Christ. He is the one way to God the Father, right? There is no other way to God than through Christ. One faith. Our faith is to be in Christ. 
one baptism. We were all baptized into Christ. One God and Father of all. Notice there is unity in the Trinity. There needs to be unity in the body of Christ as well. The Holy Spirit is what unifies us in Christ. When we are saved, we are given the Holy Spirit to live within us, to bring us together as the body of Christ. Our unity must be based on God's word and upon Jesus Christ. It means we are to be unified by one goal, to be more like Christ, to fulfill our calling as Christians, to build up the body of Christ. In fact, later on in chapter 4, if you continue to read, Paul says that Christ has given gifts to the church for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of God. So we have a task before us because when we look at the world around us and we look at the church, not only individual churches, but corporately, there's a lot of disunity, right? A lot. But we need to be working towards unity because we've been commanded by God through his word. Now, unity does not mean being unified on something that is unscriptural, which we see in some of our churches today. They try to water down the scripture to the lowest common denominator and say, well, we want to get as many people to be on our side, so we water it down and we can come together in unity. Well, no, we don't do that. The scripture is a standard for our unity. Our first focus should be to be unified here at the local body in this church and then with the other churches in our community and then out into all the world, okay? We need to keep the main things, the main thing, and not get distracted on things that will cause disunity. I love Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Ultimately, our unity is to be focused on Jesus Christ and lifting him up for the world to see. Now, there's a lot more you can go in the scripture and learn about unity. And due to time's sake, I can't hit them all. So I'm going to go to my next point. Well, what are some of those threats to unity? Now, the particular passage we're looking at doesn't really list any overt threats, but we can derive some things out of the scripture in this particular text as well as in other scriptures. So what, what are the threats to unity. Well, like I said at the beginning, number one, because we have more than one person. And anytime you have more than one person, you have opportunity for division. We can become unequally yoked, pulling each other in different directions rather than upward in Christ. Paul saw this issue in the church in Corinth, and he implored them to have no divisions among them. In Romans, Paul appeals to them to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. So because of more than one person. How about, I call this a natural tendency for division or disorder. Number two, or I would call this the spiritual second law of thermodynamics. I know we have a lot of engineers, a few physicists out there. You know the second law of thermodynamics, right? That there is a natural tendency in any isolated system to degenerate into a more disordered state, right? We see it in the scientific realm. We look in the physical realm. Look at your house. Your house continually falls apart. Our bodies continually fall apart. It's just natural 
to go from a state of unity to disunity, from order into chaos, unless we are intentional about it. Sort of like my kids' rooms, you know? They're going to remember one day when they go up, my dad saying, make your bed, pick up your clothes, right? Because if we don't do those kind of things, it just gets in more and more disorder and chaos. We need to be eager, intentional about our church. Number three, how about this one? What can be some threats? Well, we have different perspectives, different views on how the church should operate, right? Some of you say, well, I think our focus here should be small groups and discipleship. No, 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 our, our focus should be on the Sunday morning worship service. Some of you are saying, well, you know, I think our mission should be focused on home. No, no, they should be foreign, abroad. That's what they need to be focused on. Oh, some of you say we should sing traditional hymns only. Some of you say, no, we should sing contemporary worship songs only. Some of you say, you know, the sermon should be full of theology. Other of you say that sermons should be full of application. Tell me how to live. Some of you say, I like short sermons. Some of you say you like long sermons. I know most of you like long, so I'm going to be long today. <laughs> Some of you say, you know, the guy speaking in the pulpit should wear a tie. <laughs> Some of you say no, which is me, but I'm wearing the tie for those out there that believe that. So what's the point? God has made us all different. We all have different tastes, different ways we approach things. We were raised differently. We were brought up in different environments. And we all come together. There's diversity when we come together. And so we have to many times be patient with each other because we are different. That's the beauty of the church. You know, if we were all alike, that would be such a boring church, right? It would be such a boring church. God made us different. All right, what's another threat? The devil. The devil is a threat with his schemes, his desire to weaken, distort, destroy the church. He is the enemy, and his minions are arrayed against us. Remember, he desired to sift Peter like wheat. He's like a lion seeking someone to devour. He loves sowing discord in the body of Christ, in families, in organizations. I think you see it in our nation today. Why is there such animosity, strong animosity, where like... Division that's very strong. Well, I think in many regards, the work of the enemy. It's a work of the enemy. We can get off track and forget that we are wrestling not with flesh and blood, but with power, spiritual powers of darkness, principalities, as Paul says later in Ephesians. Sometimes I think we need to recognize and be discerning that our little arguments and our little tiffs that we have are being orchestrated by the enemy. How many of you ever been in a little Started out as something insignificant in a fight and turned into a big blowout. And you look back and like, wow, how'd that happen? Well, yeah, there's things in our hearts, but also sometimes there could be a work of the enemy trying to cause division, sow discord. So the devil is a threat to our unity. Worldliness, compromise is a threat. Cultural standards. You know, we learned in James for you going through the class that we must not be friends with the world. We must maintain its purity. You know, we see entire denominations dividing and splitting over cultural norms and changes, right? The world. Has God's word changed over the last 2,000 years? 
Cultures come and go, they change, but God's word endures forever. God's word must be the standard by which we live by. Listen to this in Jude 18 and 19. It says, In the last time there will be scoffers following their ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, worldly people devoid of the spirit. So that's a threat. You know, there are many other threats, and we could spend a lot of time, but I want to move on to my third and final point, which really is an important one. What should our actions be concerning unity? How are we to walk in this manner that's worthy of the Lord? Well, first and foremost, we need to recognize we must rely on God's grace. God's grace. Remember chapters 1 through 3 in Ephesians, all about the work of Christ in our hearts, what he has done for us. And we live that out. We work out our salvation, the Bible says, with fear and with trembling. God's grace must be the foundation of all our actions. And with that in mind, we need to be eager or diligent to maintain the unity. Much like my maintainers, right? They were enthusiastic. They were energetic about maintaining their equipment. We need to have that same kind of enthusiasm about maintaining the unity of this group of people we meet with on Sunday. By the way, that Greek word for being eager or diligence is a strong word, meaning to be swift, to go fast. I mean, there's, there's energy in that word, right? It's not just like, yeah, I think I'll think about our church. We should be unified. No, it's no, I need to be on the watch. I need to be alert. I need to be looking for those things that would cause disunity. We are far too casual many times when it comes to church and those things that are most important. That word maintain, Greek word means to guard, to watch over. So in essence, he's saying we'd be, be diligent and eager to guard and maintain what God has given us, and that's his church. We need to be intentional, right? We need to ask the question, how intentional are we? I know I fall short. I fall short. As I was reading, you know, studying this, is like, man, I got a lot of work to do. Number three, we need to expand our view beyond ourselves and look to Christ's church. We need to see the big picture, why unity is important. And, you know, this is a challenge in our culture today because our culture is what? So individualistic. We see everything through the lens of our personal life. We are the selfie generation, right? All right, I'm going to use an illustration, so... So today's selfie, individual generation, it would be like, I'd be going like this, worshiping the Lord today. <laughs> Instead, we ought to be saying, I'm with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? Because we're such an individualistic people. But the Bible is about a people. It's about a church. It is about not just me. It's about me and you and everyone else. Peter said it this way. You live like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, you are a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. <clears throat> when we come to church, what is your attitude? What is my attitude when I come to church? Am I coming thinking about the body of Christ gathering together to worship? Or am I coming like, well, I hope we sing the right songs today. 
I hope Pastor Joe preaches something that stirs my heart. Do we come like waiting to be those that sit out and we're part, not participators in the worship, but we're more watching it? We need to be those that come eager to worship as a body together, okay? Which leads to the next point, which is really the, the one that he starts it off with. says, we need to be patient with each other. That's how Paul's admonition used. He used those words being patient, being humble, being gentle. These are what? The fruit of the Spirit, right? Love is patient. Love is gentle. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. I love how Paul says it in Philippians, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but in humility of mind, count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. And this mentality can be so counterculture in our self-esteem culture today, where they teach everything is about you, right? We're just taught that now. That's the way everything's broadcasted through the media. It's all about you. Well, no, it's about the church. It's about us. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says, Love does not insist on its way. You know, sometimes we just need to endure things that we may not like for the greater good of the church, to keep the unity of the church. I told Brad I'd have to use this illustration. He's probably not going to want me to, but you know. So here I am. This week, I had to do one of the most dreaded things that I have to do all year, and that's to get my teeth cleaned every six months. <laughs> I mean, think about it. You have to go sit in this chair. They elevate your feet. All your blood rushes to your head. They get your uh, mouth wide open, and they use these sharp utensils and start digging down along there, right? Put this thing in there, squirt water around, make you suck on it. It's all dripping all on you, right? And I'm sitting there, and I think, this would make a good sermon illustration. <laughs> I said, how am I going to fit this into my sermon? And I thought about it. It says, you know what? I do not like going to get my teeth clean, but it's necessary because it's for good health of my mouth, which also leads to good health of the body, right? So I have to look beyond the uh, pain and misery that I have to go through for 20 minutes to think big picture, you know, this is good for me. Well, it's the same way many times we come to church Things don't always go exactly like we want. Things aren't going according to our preference, and it's easy to get upset. And sometimes we say, okay, let me elevate it up. What's the big picture? The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. What else do we need to do? We need to nourish and strengthen the church with your gifts. If you read after where I left off and you go read it, God has given each of us gifts to nourish and build up edify the church you and i have a role in this unity of building it up we are not mere spectators we are participants in the work of this organism called the church of jesus christ and finally we need to pray pray for the church pray for one another this goes without saying Instead of complaining about someone, we need to pray for them, right? It's hard to complain about someone if you start praying for them, right? It can be easy to complain. We need to pray. We need to be on guard. I love uh, the story of Nehemiah. Uh, if you read, the, you know, Nehemiah was 
felt the call of God to go back to uh, Jerusalem and what, build the walls, right? Rebuild the walls uh, because the, the nation was scattered. And so he, he gets permission to go. And as he's going and they're building the walls, he has enemies. And these enemies are trying to bring down the wall, right? They're trying to get the group of people that's helping Nehemiah to be disorganized and be disunified, you know? He, they're trying to separate them. And he says in Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, it says, When Israel's enemies plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it, they prayed to God and they set a guard as protection against them day and night. They did two things, you notice that? They prayed to God, but they were active setting a guard as well. And it's you know, we can pray to God, but we also need to be intentional in the way that we seek to maintain the unity of the church. God is doing a great work here in this body. He's doing a work in the world. Sometimes we see fractures. Sometimes we see division. It's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to get, you know, upset. But we, we need to elevate and keep the focus on Christ. It all points back to Christ, right? Be unified in Christ by the work of the Spirit that's in our hearts. So let's take advice that Paul gives that we need to be humble. We need to be gentle. We need to be patient with each other. And we need to be intentional and eager to maintain this precious thing that we have, which is called the unity of the church. Amen? Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your work that you are doing to build your church. And we thank you, Lord, that you have allowed us to be part of it. We thank you, Lord, that you continue to work through us despite our, our shortfalls, our differences. I thank you for each and every person that comes here, Lord. Maybe different than me in some regards, but they love you. Help us all, Lord, to keep front and center our love for you and our love for others. Help us, Lord. We fall short many times. We get overtaken by wrong desires. We get upset and agitated so easily sometimes. Help us, Lord, to use and walk in your grace that you have given us, that we would love one another, that we would not insist on our own way, but we'd be all about building the unity that's in Christ. We thank you and we praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.